I'm just thrilled to be here on Valentine's Day. How many came and you, what? It's Valentine's Day. I didn't know that. I got to buy stuff. You're okay. All right. It is that time when even kids give Valentine's cards, right? They start them early. We got to get them to buy stuff, and the parents do. And here are some notes from kids. Brendan wrote on a heart-shaped card, thank you, Mom, for making me food so I don't die. (laughs) Robbie, ooh, gross, it's Valentine's Day. From Ryan, dear Alexis, how are you today? I want to inform you that I kind of like you. Don't laugh, this is serious. From Chris, you're not a puppy, but you'll do. I like this. Uh, You're a very beautiful human being, but I'm not very good at drawing human beings, so I drew a potato instead. There's an idea for you today. Write that one down. Yeah. Well, love is what brings us together today. All right? You remember the Princess Bride? Marriage is what brings us together today, right? Marriage, that blessed arrangement. How's it go? That dream within a dream. And love, true love will follow you forever. So treasure your love. Well, as believers, love truly is what brings us together. We celebrate that today. The most common Valentine's question, I think, is what do I get him or her? What do I get? Well, chocolate is the number one passion. I need, here, you, you just give out chocolate to the ladies seated here, okay? Just throw it around. Chocolate is the number one passion among girls. Just, just for the, way to go, man. Just keep it going, keep it going. <clears throat> yeah, there's only a few of them. Ah, there we go, yeah. Chocolate, number one passion among women. Number one, three, number three passion, I think, is men. Uh, number two was cats. I forget. I just, I was so disappointed in the ladies over that, that uh, we came in number three. But uh, you know, man's best friend is a dog. If ever you doubt this, just try a little experiment. Lock your wife and your dog in the bathroom for about 20 minutes. And when you open the door, see who's glad to see you. No, no, never. Promise me you will never, never do that. Yeah. Well, the most common question asked of married couples during this time of year is, is how did you meet? How did you meet? Couples love to recount their stories, and I love hearing them, except when they interrupt each other. Have you been with an older couple and everything's wrong? It was not on a Tuesday that we met. It was a Thursday, darling, you know. No, 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 we did not meet at the pizza parlor. We met on the ski hill. Remember, you fell off the lift and landed on your head. Remember? I sat with you during the coma. Oh, you're right, honey. I had forgotten completely. I don't know why. (laughs) Ramona and I met uh, many years ago before the advent of, um, what, the rotary phone, right? Yeah. In those days, you had to leave your house to meet that special someone, but not anymore. You can sit in your jammies. You can have bad breath while logging on and connecting, or whatever. At first, online dating was for people who were allergic to sunlight and lived in their parents' basement. But now it is a $3 billion industry. Can you believe that? 39% of new North American couples meet online. 39%. It's now the most common way that North American couples meet. It's amazing to me. Of course, it comes with challenges, as one gentleman found out. This is uh, what he says. We eventually made plans to meet. I show up, and it turns out it's my younger sister. We both made up fake 
profiles. Be yourself, my friends, wherever you are. One lady, she went to meet a guy she'd been talking to online, discovered he was 10 years older and two feet shorter. Two feet shorter. Hello. It's so nice to meet you. Can you imagine? Oh, my goodness. One guy drove his girlfriend home, did an illegal traffic move, and was pulled over. He decided to run for it from the police. She says he tried to pull into a driveway and hide, but they found us. They put us both in handcuffs while they searched the car. They ended up giving me a ride home and took him to jail. It was a stolen car. I never saw him again, and she never forgot that. Oh, you want to do things that are unforgettable, but maybe not that. <laughs> be authentic. Be be, be honorable, be real. I asked Mark and Elaine the secret to their lengthy marriage. 35 years. 35 years. Is that cool or what? I tell you, I, Mark told me it all started in the Grand Canyon on our honeymoon. And, 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 and this is how it's been such a successful marriage. We were going down into the Grand Canyon on muleback. Do you remember this, Mark? Of course you do. And there you and Elaine was leading the way on this mule in front of him, and, and, and Mark was there just admiring the scenery. It was great, and down they were going. And, and suddenly, Elaine's mule stumbled, and Mark said, she, 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 she just, uh, she said, that's once. Stumbled a second time, that's twice. On the third stumble, Elaine is gentle. You, you're amazed that she would do this, but she pulled from her purse a six-shooter, and she Shot the mule dead right in the head. Just poof. Mark goes, Elaine, I can't. Put. She turned on him and said, that's once. <clears throat> Is that coming back to you now? No, I don't think so. Recently, a couple were celebrating their 20th, and they told us of their first meeting in a restaurant and how their dates each walked out on them, and they got looking at each other, and she just kind of, you know, smiled, and then she's, got up the nerve, and she scooched on over and sat down beside him. That was how they met. But far more exciting to them was the story of how they met Jesus. They said, we would never be together today if we hadn't made Jesus Christ Lord of our lives. Well, this morning what we're going to do is talk about loving one another. By the way, the word love, I'll move that on. Oh, man, what, how did I get up there? I have no idea. The word love, um, was that me or you? No, it was me. Okay. The word love is used 46 times in 1 John. 46 times. Here is our passage from this amazing little book. We're going to stand together and we're going to read it. Okay? Help me out. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another.
sit down. Some of you are uh, ADHD like me and you're probably going, uh, ooh, I like this. He's gonna weave a murder into a Valentine's Day message. Neat stuff. I'm mean, so excited. Squirrels, lots of them everywhere. Maybe that's you. Well, you're partly right. Uh, our passage begins with a command and with a warning. Love one another and don't be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. Well, that's pretty clear, right? Love one another, don't murder. Those who are confused by the story of Cain and Abel are usually those who have never taken the time to have children for themselves. I've noticed this. Kids, you may know, don't always get along. My wife and I have, have two wonderful children and, and a third child as well. No, kidding, kidding. We have three fantastic kids. Uh, but there were times, particularly during the teenage years, when we wondered how long they were gonna let each other live. We wondered this. I came into the living room one time. My son Jeff was glaring at his brother Steve. I said, did you hit him? He said, not yet. So he was ready. My sons were relatively well-mannered until they arrived at the golf course, any golf course. But you know, Three Hills was of a particular challenge to them. We would go out there together. I remember standing on hole number two. It's beautiful, 180 yards, right? And, and you've got going over a creek, sadly, but other than that, it's great. And Steve, he stepped up. I think he had a, a, a six iron, and, and he, he pretzel swings. He just all the way around here, and wow. And he, his brother was standing just behind him a little bit. And that ball had such possibilities at first. But then it got about 15 feet in the air, and it kept going. And it went toward the creek and into the creek. And there was silence. And all his brother did was said, sploosh. Steve, Steve turned, you'd have thought he, he, he was, I, I, I honestly, I thought he was going to kill him with the golf club. It would be the first murder in Three Hills that I'm aware of. And there we were. Oh, man. I don't know if Cain and Abel played golf. I, I never, uh, you, you don't, the theologians don't know this. I'm sure they, they argue about that. <laughs> Bible doesn't tell us. But we do know that Adam and Eve had no child-rearing manuals. Am I right? No blogs on raising your kids without raising your blood pressure. Am I still right? No small group studies on sibling rivalry. No podcasts on have a new, how to have a new kid by Friday. So Cain had all kinds of excuses for his behavior. I had no grandparents to love on me. Oh, that's why I am what I am. Think about it. No grandparents. Things would be fine if my parents would have just eaten the snake rather than the apple or whatever that thing was. But Cain was the first in a long line of eldest children who wanted to kill their baby brother. How many eldest are here? I rest my case. <laughs> Maybe you felt that way. I know you wouldn't do it. But there were no excuses. Cain was homeschooled. He knew better, right? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had done what was righteous. Well, some say Cain's only sin was being vegan. Ah, uh, I don't think so. Don't think so. You read Genesis 4 and you discover that Cain disobeys, he treacherously murders his brother, and then lies about it to God. 
Maybe you say, hey, I'm kind of liking the low expectations that God has for us. If I'm to be known by my love for others, all I must do is resist the urge to kill them. I can do that. Let's close in prayer and just go. But Jesus even said, love your enemies. He is the only leader, the only person in history to ever that, give that command to his followers. No other religion asked that of his followers. Did you know that? And we've got more bad news. Verse 15. I think I have it up here, do I? Yeah. Anyone. Let's read it. Come on. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also must give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Wow. Can we do that? Sounds to me like it's impossible. Certainly hard. I think it's impossible. Just is. Cain took life. We are to give life. This series in 1 John is about giving life. And how do we do that? By giving up our lives. Say what? Say what? Now is John being literal here? Well, the crucifixion was a one-time event, so no. But true love bids us view others as more important than ourselves. I read of someone jumping onto a train track to save a child. A pregnant mother with cancer refusing chemo treatment. Her child lived, she did not. One of the startling things about having 14 grandchildren, 14, someone said, are you Mormon or Catholic? Um, <laughs> is that there are now 14 more people on this planet that I would take a bullet for in a heartbeat to save their lives. Don't test me on this if you see me with my grandchildren, but I would, I would. At heart, love is sacrificial. Love puts others first. Love acts for the good of those we love. In dying, Jesus showed the depths of his love and also how we should love one another. We put others above ourselves. Romans 12, 10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Did you ever wish the Bible said, brothers and sisters, we ought to love those with whom we agree? I can do that. I'm pretty good at that. But what about the twerps? What about the people who wrong us, who irritate us, who tick us off? I sit on airplanes and have great conversations with others, and eventually they, they usually discover I'm a Christian. And what comes to mind? One guy said, I've had bad experiences with Christians. I grabbed his hand and said, really, me too. And he started to laugh, and we talked for four hours from Dallas to Calgary about Jesus. But usually what comes to mind for them is what we're against. The bickering, the latest headline about another fallen leader. Just once I would love to hear the word love. Love. You Christians, man, you guys just love each other. You forgive each other. And the truth is, I've got to tell you something. We do. This is not reported. But we do. We get it right far more often than anyone is told. We have proclaimed God's grace throughout the world and continue to. Go anywhere in this world and you will find wells. You will find orphanages, clinics, believers fighting against sex trafficking. God is doing remarkable things. Still, Christians right now, as you know, are polarized and fragmented over so much. There is so much anger and division. It breaks God's heart. I can be judgmental. I'm really good at that. Unforgiving. 
I find it easier to label others than love them. I brand those I'm told to embrace. By God's grace alone, we can change this. When we take short strides in the footsteps of Jesus, the one who gave himself up for us, we can love one another. Years ago, a guy by the name of Vance moved in next door to me, and I loved this guy from the start because he told me Mennonite jokes until I was physically sick. He's a Mennonite. And why? They tell the best jokes. He said, did you know there's conclusive proof that Adam was a Mennonite? I said, the first man was a Mennonite? He said, yes. Who else would stand beside a naked woman and be tempted by an apple? He said, I love this guy, of course. Until the day he, he came over and he insulted my lawnmower. I had a perfectly good electric lawnmower, you guys. I did. It was wonderful. And he said, those are for wimps. You should have a gas-powered lawnmower like mine, a real man's lawnmower. I didn't like this at all. And then the day came when my lawnmower quit so loud you could hear it quit in, in, in Edmonton, Alberta, I think. It quit so loud, and, and I had to humble myself, go over to my neighbor and ask to borrow his lawnmower. He said, sure, just come with me. He took me over to the shed. He said, feel those handlebars. That's a man's lawnmower. Take it. And I did. It roared to life. I cut our grass all the way to the backyard in big, wide, manly swaths, and it was great. And I returned it, of course, and then two weeks later, I had to borrow it again. I went over, and, and I tapped on his door. He was not home. He, I thought, you know, we're such good friends now. I will just borrow it. So I did, and I got it going, and I cut our grass. It was great. All the way to the back of the backyard until I encountered the stump, about this big around, about this much in the air. And I thought, last week I went around it. This time I'll just go over it. It's a man's lawnmower. Shouldn't be a problem. (laughs) Bang! It stopped dead, never to start again. I am not a mechanically-minded person, but I like looking at stuff that's busted, so I turned it over. Oil was dripping out of it, crankshaft bent like this. What would you do? I knew exactly what to do. My father told me when I was just a little boy. He said, son, if ever you borrow something, return it. And so I did, and I put it right there beside the shed and left on a five-day business trip to Washington, D.C. Got back from this trip. Vance was waiting. He said, "Uh, do you have a flashlight? I did. Went into the house, got a flashlight, thought he's going to club me to death with a flashlight. (laughs) I don't want to die that way. Took me over to the stump, shone the flashlight on it because it was growing dark. He had poured an entire bottle of ketchup, red like blood, all over that stump. There was a spray-painted outline of a lawnmower in the grass beside it. (laughs) A yellow ribbon police line, do not cross around the trees. He said, we have a suspect. Took me over to the garden. I kid you not. He had buried that lawnmower and made up a, a, a brick, white, white computer paper, these words. It said, here lies Mr. Mower. A life so quickly taken by a hand so quick to take. He will never mow what life had in the grass ahead of him. It's not hard to understand why we're still friends today. You know, uh, Vance knows what every good Christian friend knows. If you expect perfection from other people, your entire life will be a series of disappointments and grumblings and complaints. But if you set your sights a little lower and accept others as the imperfect creatures all of us are, you just may find yourself a lifelong friend. Story doesn't end there. Vance's wife, two weeks later, goes down to Home Hardware in Three Hills, enters their name in a white draw box to to win a beautiful red self-propelled lawnmower, and guess what happened? They won. And today, all because of me. 
they have a beautiful lawnmower in their backyard. I have not tried borrowing it, but I do keep reminding them just how very fortunate they are to have me for a friend. <laughs> how are you doing in this area of forgiveness? I struggle. Listen to Colossians 3. Well, let's, oh, how do I, oh, yeah, okay, there we go. Let's say it together, okay? Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for his and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love. Amen. How many of you are married? Are there a few? Is that uh, for whom the bell tolls? Uh, any great marriage is a union of two good forgivers. It's so true, you know. We are celebrating 40 years of marriage. Um, one guy said, in a row? Said, yeah, that's possible. How? How? Well, you know, it starts with the vows. Ramona, I solemnly pledge to unclog the drain, even though only one of us has long hair. That's the vows, you know. I promise to love you as we walk through Ikea, as we buy the furniture, yea, even as we assemble it. Selah. Yeah. I will warm you when you're cold, take your hand when it's dark, always open jars for you, and say, you loosened it, baby. Even though we will both know that it was my manly muscles that opened that jar. Oh, yeah, no, those aren't our vows. Seriously, I, um, well, you know, marriage is, is, is made in heaven but lived on earth. And sometimes it's just two people taking turns, squashing the trash beneath the sink down further, hoping the other one will cave in and empty it into the bin, you know. That's how I lay down my life for my wife. I empty the bin. No, I'm still learning to see her needs as more important than my own, view my own selfishness as more serious than any faults that she may display. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church, how was that? He gave up his life for her. Does this ring a bell? Remember 1 John 3.16, right? We know what real love is. Jesus gave up his life for us. Whether you're single or married, this is our lifelong challenge and calling to follow in the footsteps of Jesus who gave up his life for us. I've spoken at 300 plus marriage, marriage events and I have sometimes delivered marriage speeches while I'm in the midst of a pretty good argument with my wife who is uh, kind of rolling her eyes as I make some great points. But this hasn't <laughs> happened often. One night we were doing well and I was brilliant. I'm telling you, I was good, Mark. I was. I say this humbly. Harrison Hot Springs in British Columbia, it was 200 pastors and their spouses and, and they, they, they applauded, they stood. They were as brilliant as I was. And then Ramona and I went up to our suite. It was so nice. And I said something so appallingly stupid. I will not repeat it to you. You would, you would think so much less of me. And, 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 and it escalated, and then it went downhill, and she locked herself in the bathroom and would not come out. Pray for her. I tried everything. I will take you to Hawaii. We will sip from those little pineapples, you know. Nothing worked. Finally, I wrote on a piece of paper, I'm sorry, I was a doofus. I, I was wrong. 
Please forgive me. Please come out. I love you. And I took that piece of paper and I knelt down and got down on my knees where I should have been long ago. And I pushed it under the slat there and I blew it <laughs> as far as I could. And thank God I heard the most wonderful sound. It was the sound of her laughing. I tell you, that has saved my life at times. Words can make all the difference, you guys. As believers in Jesus, let's use them to build, not to destroy. Guys, quickly, let's practice. We have a few minutes together. Guys, say this after me, the men, all right? If ever I marry, I will love, honor, and cherish my babe. Yes. I will clean the sink after I shave. You didn't sound as enthusiastic. I will cut irritating noises by 8%. I will buy black underwear in bulk. I will say, that's fascinating. Tell me more. And then I will say, let's go buy you some shoes. Yes, ladies, it's your turn. Are you ready? Here we go. Things to practice saying for marriage if you're not married yet, married yet. Okay, here we go. Ready? Dwayne Johnson's got nothing on you. Nice, nice. Is there anything you can't fix? No problem. I understand. Here's the remote. Let's watch something manly. Ah. Here are five reasons that we have been married for 40 years. The first one is we left no alternatives. The first year or three of our marriage was miserable until I got a divorce from loving myself and seeking my own way. The book of Galatians smacked me over the head. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Phil Calloway is dead. Jesus lives in me. His love must govern my life. I, I married a gal for whom divorce was never an option. At, neither was murder, as, as, far, as far as I know. Though when I read her that last night, she snickered pretty good. <laughs> Secondly, gratitude. One study shows that feeling appreciated increases our commitment to stay together. The simple words, thank you, are priceless in your relationships. Number three, community. There is no possible way I would still be married that it would have lasted this long had we not chosen godly friends who would have murdered me if I would have mistreated or left my wife. And we attend church together. We have all these years. Be accountable. Never attempt to climb Mount Everest alone. Be surrounded by community. Number four, prayer. One study claims that women who are just a little bit overweight live longer than the men who pointed out to them. Sorry, that's... <laughs> That, I wrote that down here, but that was the wrong study. <laughs> Serious study. Couples who pray together report, quote, the most satisfying marriages of all. Prayer unites us before God. Lately, Ramon and I have been thanking God for his amazing grace. You know, it's all about that. We never would have made it without that grace. I'm so thank you. But you, dear friends, Jude 20 says, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
We pray together, it unites us. And finally, purpose. We have an enemy seeking to destroy you, your family, your relationships, your marriage. But when we focus on God's mission together, marriages thrive. Date nights are great. Back rubs are fantastic. Leaving flirtatious voices, messages on each other's voicemail is, is great. Uh, just make sure you, you, you get the right number in there when you do that. But when you share a common purpose larger than you, realize how short your life is. That it's not about us, it's about him. We were made for eternity. Things get truly awesome. Focus on bringing glory to God together and suddenly there's less time for silly arguments in hotel rooms after speaking to pastors. By the way, I kept that promise, you guys, to take my wife to Hawaii. There we are. <laughs> Above all, it is God's grace. I was just reading about Valentine's Day apology cards. Most are just excuse cards. I'm sorry for offending you, you know, those kind of things with lots of but in them. But I, I, I. Here's a pretty good apology. Dear Chris, sorry, dude. I ate the rest of your pizza and breadsticks. I was really hungry, but that's no excuse. I will buy pizza for all of us next week to atone for my sins. <laughs> a meaningful apology makes no excuse. It never includes the words but or if I offended you. A genuine apology erodes misunderstanding, shows respect, and builds trust. And it builds love. Ten years ago, Officer Andrew Collins falsified a police report and Jamil McGee was thrown into prison for four years. Sitting in his cell, he was fuming. McGee wanted nothing more than to kill Collins, the cop who lied about him. Anger consumed him. Though he would be exonerated, he'd lost everything. And meanwhile, Officer Collins was exposed for who he was, and he too spent time behind bars. In prison, get this, both men came to ultimate freedom through faith in Jesus Christ. The hate had messed me up for a while, McGee said, but finally as I read the Bible, I read of God's awesome love, and he surrendered his life to Jesus and surrendered that hate. First Collins confessed his sin to God, then to investigators and to his wife. In 2015, the two men learned that they were working together at the same company. All this hate between them. So in humility, Collins the cop told McGee, Honestly, I have no explanation. All I can do is say, I'm sorry. McGee offered Collins the gift of forgiveness. Both had experienced the incomparable grace and mercy of God, and they were reconciled and now are known by their love. This message of loving one another always reaches all the way down to our wallets. Do you know that? It does. Let's read this. If someone has enough money to live well, help me, and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion. How can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Amen. If you want to know what you love most, ask yourself two things. How do I spend my time? How do I spend my money? Everything we have is from God. Let's use it to build his kingdom, not ours. Kids were asked how people in love act. One said, mushy like puppies, except puppies don't wag their tails nearly as much. <laughs> Alonzo, age nine, said if you're in love, you don't do things like have smelly green sneakers. I thought that was funny. <laughs> love will find you, said Dave, age eight, even if you are trying to hide from it. 
I've been trying to hide from it since I was five, but the girls keep finding me. <laughs> Love. Ever wonder what Jesus talked about most during his final days on earth? Do you? The Apostle John records him using the word love six times in his first 12 chapters, 31 in his last five. His prayer was that we would love one another with his selfless, death-embracing, life-giving love, a love that would turn the world right side up. We follow the one who humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Such love is possible only because Christ lives in us. Every day, may we be mindful and grateful for these three things. Number one, God's presence in us. Two, his grace to us. And three, his example for us. He alone gives us strength to do the impossible, to love one another. This is how the world will know that he is alive and that we are his disciples. Greg, age eight, said, love is the greatest thing in the world. But baseball is pretty cool, too. <laughs> My friends, God's love is the greatest thing in the world. That love is in us, each one, by faith. Brothers and sisters, let us love one another. Would you stand to your feet? Philippians 1, 9, and 10 is so appropriate. And this is my prayer for you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Jesus Christ. God bless you, my friends. Go in peace and go make somebody's day. Thank you so much.